Hey, welcome to the Living the Dream podcast. This is your host, Timmy Douglas, and the goal of this podcast is to create a community that inspires action, accountability, celebrates progress, and helps people make the right connections to take that next step towards their dreams and goals. If you're looking for any one-on-one coaching to pinpoint your purpose and start taking steps in that direction, make sure to contact me on my website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, or on social media. On that note, let's get into the show. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Living the Dream podcast. Today on the show, we have D.P. Knuton, who is the chief collaborator at his business, Collaborator Creative. D.P., how you doing? I'm doing great, Timmy. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Of course. Thanks for coming on the show. And we like to jump right in. So if you could start with telling us a little bit more about yourself and what you like to do for fun, that'd be great. Oh, yeah. Well, I think what you, you can see what I like to do for fun on, on the back wall. And again, if you're listening to this, you can't see it, but I'm surrounded by guitars, literally acoustic guitars, electric guitars, all things guitars, because, you know, while some people golf, I guitar. And so <laughs> if you're asking me what I like to do, I really like to do that because a big part of who I am is uh, a creative guy. And in fact, my full title, uh, depending on who I work with and how I work with them, is generally something like copywriter and creative director, meaning that I work on the creative ideas and I do the writing required to convey or communicate those creative ideas, specifically, typically in marketing situations. So if you said, hey, who wrote the words that the actor said in that TV commercial, that'd be me. If you, if you ask the question, who uh, wrote the copy on that website? That'd be me. Uh, if someone said, how did they come up with that crazy idea to do that thing at that event? A lot of times the answer would be me or the people I work with because that's what a creative director does. They come up with the concepts or they help other people come up with the concepts and make them better and better. So that's kind of core to who I am as an individual, which is creative. I have to be creative. And, you know, that implies a lot of things, not the least of which is you're not going to get a lot of spreadsheets from me. That's not what I do. I'm not an analyst. Doesn't mean I can't analyze. I'm not an accountant. That doesn't mean I can't do basic accounting. It's just that that is not my first best destiny, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I'm right there with you. So you love to write, you love to play music on the guitar and for your occupation, it's kind of like a marketing copywriter and event creative director is what you said. So yes, you do the copy and you also handle events or planning stuff or well, no, it's it's and this is a great example of how people need to work and understand their talents. My talents are in coming up with the ideas and then executing them to a level where it's then handed off to other people, for example. If I were working on a television commercial with a client, I would come up with the idea in consultation and collaboration with them. We would execute the commercial, meaning shoot and produce the commercial. But when it came down to who gets it in the hands of the TV stations or the online channels, that's not what I do. I'm not a, a media person who's actually handing off the tapes or transmitting the digital files. I'm getting the digital file done that you can now transmit. And consequently, I know where my lane is. My lane's on the creative side. Coordination, 
is a media buyer or a media placement professional's job. And that's a, that's a key thing because even though I like to do things myself, I like to recognize the fact that I can't do everything with excellence. My goal is to do everything as good as I possibly can. And in order to do that, I need to know what I do best. I need to align myself with what I do best. I need to communicate that to other people so they know why they should engage with me. And then I need to do that as best as I can because I can't be everywhere all the time, but where I am, I better be as good as I possibly can be because that's the essence of creating a personal brand that people understand, they appreciate, and they want to engage with. Hmm. I love that. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you know yourself. There's a great book. Um, ooh, I'm blanking on it now. The Big Leap. The Big Leap uh, by Gay Hendricks. He talks about operating in your zone of genius. Yep. I feel like that's something you've honed in on, which is I applaud you for it. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, a lot of people haven't done the work to figure out where their zone of genius is, where their uh, area of excellence is. And consequently, they're, they're floating around in life or they're hating their life because they're doing something that maybe they're not meant to be doing. And the key to what I help a lot of people out with when creating brands for their small business or themselves, their personal brand, which, by the way, if you have a company with less than fewer uh, 50 employees, it is a personal brand. You yeah. are the brand. You're, the people who buy from you want you, not one of your other 50 people. They always want to know that you're behind everything. For sure. They need to understand that you are the DNA, if you will, for that 50-person company. So consequently, what is your DNA as an individual? What makes you different? What makes you preferred? Or what attracted them in the first place? If you don't know that stuff, then you're, you've got two hands tied behind your back. Yeah, absolutely. Know thyself. Well, awesome, DP. Let's jump into your motivation now. What gets you up and keeps you going every day? Uh, creating stuff. I mean, coming up with ideas, taking difficult problems, breaking them down, simplifying them so that they can be communicated clearly. For instance, we've all lived the past couple of years through the plague years of COVID-19, right? And we have been communicated to numerous times in a lot of different ways, ineffectively or inconsistently about masks on, masks off. Can you go inside? Can you not? Are you locked in your house? What? The communication's been all over the place for a number of reasons, and I'm not going to point fingers at anybody for doing anything incorrectly and stuff like that. And the fact is, information has to change as conditions change. But as those conditions change, the first job is to say why. Why are we changing? Here are the reasons why. Ding, 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 ding. You know, I don't know if you know the, the book by Simon Sinek, Start With Why, uh, but he's all about that, which is, and I was, and believe me, I know this firsthand because I was a why kid, meaning as I was a little kid, my mom would tell me to do something. First word out of my mouth was why, why, why? The second you answer that question for someone like me, it's like, oh, I understand now. For example, stop signs. Why do we have stop signs? 
so that people don't run into cars and kill people. Oh, that's a really good why. That's a really good reason to have a stop sign. And by the way, in the United States of America, for the most part, we obey stop signs because we understand that as a society. Anyone who's ever gone abroad is frankly amazed at how people blow through stop signs. And another, another why, just to put you in that mind, once people understand the why, they, they do the thing you're asking them to. For example, driving a car down the road, you hear a siren behind you. What do you do if you're driving that car? You pull over to the right lane, get as far off to the side as you can, because you're what? I'm letting the first responders through. Why? Someone might be dying. That person might be my wife or my grandmother or someone I care about. The why has been communicated effectively. And again, people from other countries around the world um, are amazed when they're in a, a car being driven by an American because even if we were driving abroad, we'd pull over to the right to let the first responders through. Most countries don't because they don't understand or care about the why. When, when you communicate your why, like why should I hire you to do X, Y, or Z for me? If I communicate that why, then people go, oh, okay, let's talk more. Then they can say things like, how much does it cost? How fast can you do it? Stuff like that. But it has to start with the why. Why should I even think about hiring you for whatever you happen to do with excellence? And if so, do you see what I'm saying? Yep. First, you've got to know what your excellence is, your zone of excellence. But then you've got to communicate the why part of that so that people understand why should you go to me? Because I'm excellent and here's the proof points. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love that. So not only like the creating stuff and the breaking down difficult problems to communicate it clearly, but doing it with excellence and like living in that zone for you. Well, in even knowing what is the most important thing about you, not only that's 100% true to who you are as a human being, but why your audiences should care about that. Because the thing about branding is that Brands make it very easy for you to say either yes or no. What do I mean by that? Let's say you're a fan of a certain sports team in wherever you happen to live, and you find out there's a TV, there's a game on the, on TV, and it features your favorite sports team. Are you going to watch that game or are you not? Well, yes. Why? Because my team's in there. My brand, my preferred brand, is there. Meanwhile. Let's say there's uh, two teams that you don't really care about. They're not in your conference. You know, they aren't contending with your team for the championship or you know, playoffs or anything like that. Is that a game that you're going to watch? Make, you're literally going to make time to watch? I'm not saying that you won't watch it. But we all know that there are weddings that are skipped because a certain game is on. Yep. You know, because, oh, or all the guys are out in the parking lot watching the game on their iPhones and while the reception's going on afterward why because that's your team if it's not your team you don't care as much you might want to watch the game because it's it's a game but it doesn't mean anything to you but if you associate who you are with that brand 
you'll bend over backwards to make that brand part, continue to be part of your life. Witness anybody who's ever followed a losing team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Wow, that's a, I like the idea of associating yourself with a brand because that really is what people are doing. And you look at like Apple, like Apple like carved out their own little piece of the market and just blew up because people resonated with them so much. Is yeah. I've heard somebody talk about Steve Jobs doing and so I'm right there with you. Well, and Steve Jobs, and by the way, I'm a huge Apple fan, so much so, full disclosure, I own Apple stock. I mean, literally, love the company, love everything they do, although they don't do everything perfectly. Mm. Nobody ever does, but they're at least working toward perfect, which I truly appreciate. But here's the thing, Steve Jobs, even back in the day, he understood he could not do everything. And... If, if you know enough about Apple, you know, you got Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs in an, uh, a Palo Alto garage coming out with the Apple One and then the Apple Two. And what do they do? They target and they put, they start creating opportunities and programs to get Apple Twos in schools. Why? Because kids who are introduced to computing via Apple are, already have brand affinity. And as they grow up, they're going to have that memory of Apple and ideally will become Apple customers the rest of their life. So smart, smart strategy right there. But what happened was Apple came on some hard times, so much so that the board of directors of Apple kicked Steve Jobs out of Apple. They said, we don't need you, Steve Jobs. And they brought in John Scully, who was a, uh, a C-level executive from Pepsi. Literally, a soft drink manufacturer was brought into uh, the company that more or less invented the home-oriented personal computer, you know, simultaneously along the lines with the IBM PC and stuff like that. But still, Apple was the personal-oriented computer. Yep. So anyway, John Scully, they start doing things. They start all these initiatives and stuff like that. And after a while, they kind of lost their mojo. And they were like, why have we lost our mojo? Why have we lost our brand mojo? And people started figuring out that, oh, we lost Steve Jobs. And as pain in the butt as he could be, he was the holder of the brand that was Apple. So he had Next Computers, which was a, a spinoff, and uh, he had a different operating system. And Apple, under they wanted to get the operating system so they bought Next computers with Steve Jobs coming along with it, and he came in. And the story goes, and this is one of those stories I've heard I don't know to be true, but I realize the truth of the story, and that's why I tell it so often. He came in, and, they, and he looked at every single initiative that Apple had going on with printers and video and music and computers for home for office for everything and you know, let's just say there were 25 different initiatives going on and he cut it down to five he got rid of 20 different well-developed foundational technological software or hardware projects to focus on five and they happen to be stuff like macintosh the computer that became the first Macintosh, uh, printers that were um, uh, laser printers, 
which allowed you to have finer quality typography on pages. And then uh, just a few more, I mean, a handful. He got rid of 20 initiatives to focus on five. You know, I like to call that strategy fewer, better. Fewer things, do fewer things, but do them better. Yep. And that's exactly what Apple did. And that's why the Apple of today exists because Steve Jobs understood we can't do everything. We have to focus on a narrow range and do it better than anybody else. Think of this, iPod comes out. Was it the first MP3 player? No, it was not. Was it the best MP3 player? Why, yes, it was. And it was a seamless integration between an iPod and a Macintosh computer. And even later, they had iTunes for PC. They didn't try to get everything. They focused and they didn't necessarily, uh, they weren't necessarily the first mover in the marketplace. They only enter a market when they can make it better. An example, why can't I buy a Apple TV screen? You know, I've got an Apple TV device, which is a streaming device, but I can't buy a true Apple TV. I can't go out and get a 54-inch Apple TV. Why is that? Apple should be able to make these really easily and design them beautifully and make them better and all that stuff. The short answer is they can't make them noticeably, recognizably better than the big screen TVs that are out there right now. And if so, why would they want to be just another choice? They want to be the choice in a market that has proven itself to be viable. MP3 players were not viable for the first several years they were out. Once that market was proven to be viable, boom, they come out with the iPod and they own the marketplace. Then, and this is Steve Jobs. Remember, fewer better. Steve Jobs kills a huge segment of his company's inventory by getting rid of iPods in favor of something called the iPhone. And if you remember how he introduced it, which if you've never, if you want to see a master presenter and storyteller and simplifier, go watch the release of the first iPhone keynote that Steve Jobs did um, years ago. You can find it on, on YouTube at any time and watch what he does. He literally talks, he's not talking about iPhone. He says, we have a new product or we, we have some new things. We have a, uh, a internet communicator, a, uh, what was it? It was a, a, a phone, a music player, and an internet communicator. And everyone's like, oh, that's cool. And then you find out he's not talking about three different products. He's talking about one, the iPhone, and it blew people's minds. All of a sudden, the 600 or the, I think it might've been 600, $800 when it was released. Everyone, including myself, I bought an iPhone, the first version, why? In my head, I said, okay, I need a phone. That's about $100. I need, uh, oh, I need a new iPod that's, uh, that's about a hundred dollars. And then, uh, this internet communicator thing, I could do computing on my, 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 wherever I am on my phone. That's worth something. So all of a sudden I'm not, I'm not feeling like I'm getting ripped off. I'm getting delighted by the possibility that someday I'll be able to do my entire job off my phone. 
And the reality is we've reached that stage right now. If, if forced to, could I do 90% of what I have to do every day for my job on my iPhone? Yes, I could. Yeah. And that's mind blowing. But that happened because Steve Jobs said, we can't do everything. We need to focus. And then when we focus, we focus on proven markets that we know exist and we can enter with a better product, a recognizably better product. And that to me is brilliance. Yeah, no, couldn't have said it better myself. Well, awesome, BP, let's go ahead and jump into your dreams and goals now. Tell us about your vision for your company and your life. Well, my company and my life, there's there's no difference. I mean, as you can see, I've got a little bit of salt and pepper on my face here, which is mostly salt in my beard. Um, I'm in what I like to call my Yoda years, which is when I was a young guy like you, Timmy, I was out there flying my X-wing across the universe and I was swinging my lightsaber and I was fighting the bad guys right, left, and I was a good guy and all that stuff. Well, you, you get to the latter part of your uh, career, your professional career, and you realize that you have more Yoda-like wisdom than you do youthful lightsaber swinging energy. So I'm leaning heavily into what I like to call my Yoda years. These are the years where I've got a lot to say, I've got a lot to share, and, and I want to share it. So consequently, I may be a green guy in my swamp on Dagobah. And by the way, sorry if you're not a Star Wars fan and don't know what I'm talking about. Let's just say I'm talking Star Wars lingo. But anyway, so I'm a little green guy on Dagobah. I invite people to come to Dagobah and to learn how to become the master Jedi they want to become in their careers. So... That happens to coincide with a, a concept that I think I would like to especially share with some uh, with a young guy like you, Timmy. And that is right now you're not thinking about this, but I'm telling you, like your dad, you should be thinking about this, which is eventually you're going to reach your X years. What, what are your X years? Well, you've been working in whatever you do for quite a while. You, you are obviously experienced. You're excellent at what you do because you've done it for so long. You're expensive, meaning you've climbed the ladder as people recognize what you do and your area of excellence and all that. But unfortunately, if you don't own the company, you know, if your name is not on the door, you don't own it. It's not yours. And you may be expendable. If you are a commodity, meaning a com in my case, a commodity copywriter, I am just like every other copywriter out there. I am a word arranger that puts words and concepts in sentences so that people can understand them. I'm, and you know, I'm no better than any other copywriter. But the thing is, I am better than other copywriters. Not all copywriters, not in all areas, but I am better than them in areas in which I have worked for 20, 30 years. I just plain am better because of my experience, my, which I can prove, my, ex, uh, my excellence, which I can prove, and all that stuff. So I'm not a cog which can be replaced. I am a premium brand which can be preferred and should be preferred. And what do I mean by that? 
if you are a writer, you're a commodity. We need another that this writer's getting too expensive. Let's get rid of them. Let's bring in someone cheaper. Why? Because writers are writers, right? And the answer is no, they are not. Some are better than others. The ones who are better than others typically become renowned or become, un, you know, a lot of people understand that they're good. They, oh, they aren't just like everybody else. They're better than everybody else. Well, that whole, they're better than everybody else at a certain thing. That's because they've become a brand within the minds of other people. But here's the thing. They may not have been creating and communicating their brand. It may have just happened organically based on who they are. For example, I love giving examples because that's how people think, right? They love stories. There was a rather large female news anchor. I think she may have been in Baltimore. And she was told by her station manager that she would, never, she would not have a career. Why? Because she was a rather large or larger than, let's call average. And she happened to also be a black woman. Well, that guy was 100% right because black women who were large did not ever become news anchors and stuff like that. She didn't care to believe him. She started doing her own thing. She started becoming so renowned that she only has to have one name. I think you know what name I'm talking about. I'm talking about Oprah, right? Talk about the single most unlikely media personality you could ever think of. She's right up there. I mean, in terms of the old criteria, you've got to be a bubbly blonde, you know, who's uh, young and et cetera. You, she oh. violated every single norm that was a norm at that time. But now she's a one named brand that's known, beloved, preferred, and shared with people all around the world because she leaned into her zone of excellence, which was, dun, 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 it was not news reading. It was not anchor person. It was, I do interviews, but I don't do them like news anchors do interviews. I do interviews kind of like your best friend talks to you, or maybe your hairdresser or your barber talks to you, or the guy who's the great, the one guy you know, who's part of your extended network, who's like, he listens so well, and he gets the best stories out of people, and he's always fun to have around because he always makes people feel great, or she, I'm, I'm just saying he because I'm talking to you, Timmy, but you know, all of a sudden they become their own thing. So if you, if I forced people to say, what does Oprah do that makes her so valuable? I'm guessing a lot of people are going to go, uh, she talks to people. I mean, think about it. She doesn't make cars. Yep. She doesn't invent stuff. However, she's created a platform where if you're a, a writer and you find out that Oprah's going to have your book in her Oprah's book club. Oh my God. You just sold a million more copies because of her. She's, she is uh, a mocker. She is someone who makes things happen. Wow. And she is a brand who is beloved to the point where she only has to have one name. That's amazing to me. And she did it in spite of all her 
outwardly facing physical attributes. She shared what was inside. She identified what was excellent inside her and brought it out to share to other people. And that to me is amazing and exciting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you who can't see, I was laughing because he just took a sip from a mug that says a mug of tea. <laughs> it just yeah. it made me laugh. Uh, and it's a big, it's a big mug of tea. Yeah, and then it had a picture of a mug on the mug. It was just funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yes, Oprah is beloved. I love what she did. And um yeah, I just I couldn't agree more. She's often with one of these questions I'm about to ask you coming up after we get through your dreams and goals, she's often the answer. Like probably like three out of four times, three out of four point five times. It's like Oprah, yeah, Oprah, Oprah. Yeah. But um, awesome. Are there any other dreams or goals that you want to share with us when it comes to like other than leaning into your Yoda years and sharing knowledge with people? Well, the big thing for me is knowing what my yardstick is. What's important to me? How do I measure success in my life? Because when I was a younger guy, I had a totally different yardstick. Meaning, how did I measure my success? And I, you can see it now where young guys is, are leaning up against a Lamborghini with fat stacks of cash on it, surrounded by girls in bikinis and talking about their seven-figure lifestyle and they can teach you how to do it in 60 days or less. That type of crap, that's BS. But it's very appealing to people who haven't done the work to figure out what they really want. Yep. In my case, I'm living my best yardstick right now because I have a wife who I've been married to for 25 going on 26 years. I've got three daughters, all of them. One's out of college, two are in college right now, who are fantastic young women. And family is the most important thing in my life because I've made it the most important thing in my life. And that's a choice. You know, I'm a child of divorce. My parents got divorced. I, I was old enough. I was in college, but still, you have that foundation ripped out from under you. That's, that becomes a point where you say, I'm going to believe in it, the institution of marriage and the value of it and family and all that stuff, or I'm going to go solo. And the funny thing is, naturally, I'm kind of solo the way I run. I'm kind of lone wolfy. You know, uh, but I knew what I wanted was a family that I could feed, that I could clothe, that I could support, that I could encourage, that I could inspire, that I could make their eyes roll whenever I, I tell a bad dad joke, you know. And let me tell you, that, that's working out. That's that's really working. But yeah. that that's key to me. So when you say, what's your dream? I'm, well, I'm living that dream. You know, my family is getting to the point now where it's not like I can die. Hap it's over now. There's still plenty to do. There's an, an entire next act for our family. And I am delighted to say that I'm going to be here to see it. Yeah. And that to me, that that's that's what I'm most interested in. Yeah, no, I love that. I love the whole measuring stick because even for myself, you know, I'm really big on living your dream, obviously, considering my podcast. And right. um, I have big dreams, big ambitions of really impacting people and raising that family well and being able to have close, intimate friendships. And it's like being 22, the stuff I'm forced to focus on as a young entrepreneur is like, right now, all my goals, like, 
I have my 90 day goals. It's all like driving revenue. Yeah. So I'm like, I imagine as I get more established, like my, my yard six is going to change as well. So I like well, how in, there's a, there's a concept that uh, I learned from Scott Galloway. He's um, he's a professor of marketing at Stern school of business at NYU. And he's also pretty well known now. Uh, he just lost his show on CNN plus because CNN plus is shutting down, but put, write down his name and pay attention to what he's doing because this guy is, he's smart, he's funny, he's a little bit more than a little bit arrogant, but, but he's also self-aware. But um, he was the one who introduced me to this idea of flywheel. Do you know what a flywheel is? I do not. It, okay, it's a picture in the old days of steam and stuff like that. Uh, you had to get the flywheel going to get the thing moving. So it's this big, heavy wheel. It has a lot of mass on part of the wheel. And so you have to work really hard to get the thing to rotate. And the more you push on that thing, it goes a little bit faster. And, but, and because it has mass, it starts moving, moving, moving faster and faster and faster so that all of a sudden you don't have to add energy to it. You just have to, every once in a while, just give it a, a little bit of a slap to, to inject a little bit more motion to it but it starts rolling. So right now in your career, your flywheel is at either dead stop or barely moving because nope. you're young. I mean, let's face it, there's no crime with being young, but it's a pain in the butt because you got to do everything twice as hard because you got to learn how to do it and all that stuff. And you, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you find out you don't know it. You know, then you have to learn it and it can be very, very tough, but what you're doing right now, Timmy, is you're getting your flywheel going. And if you aren't seeing immediate success, I don't want to say that's okay because that can hurt or that can be very difficult when it comes to, you know, being able to live. But the fact is nobody's flywheel was started out at, you know, 600 miles an hour, except for those people who inherit money. I'm not one of those people. Yeah. It took me at least 10 years to get my flywheel going at a decent speed and then another 10 years to really make it cook. And even now I look at a lot of the activity I'm doing in different areas. It's like starting a different flywheel at zero speed at zero miles per, per hour. For example, let me give an example of a flywheel that I'm trying to get moving slowly, get going. I, uh, I do a lot of presentations and I started really trying to lean into the speaking side of my business, you know, in front of associations and, uh, you know, uh, uh, all sorts of events and things like that. And I paid events. It's not the, hey, will you come speak to our group for free? Yeah, you have to do a lot of that free stuff to get that flywheel going. But eventually you want to be able to say, yeah, um, I, for your size group, I, I want to, you'll have to give me a check for $5,000. Yep. And it's like $5,000. That's a lot of money until you realize Tony Robbins, you can't get him to get on a plane for less than a hundred thousand yep. dollars. And even that plane, it, you know, whatever I, it, how did he get there? to a place where he could command whatever he commands for whatever he does. And the answer is he's doing what he did, what you're doing now. 
he had my understanding is he had a bunch of motivational tapes he did in the back of his car and he would go to any place that would have him and he would speak and he'd give out a whole bunch of them for free to get the flywheel going until people started buying and then people started having real success attributed to him etc etc tony robbins was not an overnight success unless you consider 10 years of overnights success yeah <laughs> you know so um i'm just gonna leave that there to say that you are at the early flywheel stage of what you've got going on and that's why you have to focus on 90-day things you want to get done revenue oriented dude you gotta eat yep <laughs> oh yeah you know so but at the same time, and one of the things I like about you doing this podcast is you're already leaning into what you may or may not know is a, a zone or an area of excellence for yourself, which is, and it may not be interviewing. Maybe it's curiosity that is your, your zone of excellence that you, or a key part of who you are as an individual. You're leaning into the softer side of, of stuff. You know, if, if the hard side is revenue, the softer side is, who am I going to be? Why do people want to engage with me? By having a podcast like this, you are doing the best thing any personal brand can do, which is demonstrate. You are demonstrating who you are, what you do and care about, and how you do it and thereby showing your audience why you you have some value to them not all of them some of them don't care great you don't have to waste any time on people who don't care that's the that's the thing when you're starting out you you think you got to be a swiss army knife right you got to be a a knife and a corkscrew and a toothpick well here's the thing a swiss army knife is a crappy knife it's a crappy corkscrew and it's an unsanitary toothpick. Yep. Don't be a Swiss army knife, be a scalpel, be a purpose built tool. By the way, you can go to any store and get a, a $50, everything on it, Swiss army knife. But if you want to buy a medical grade scalpel, it's going to cost you significantly more. Why? Cause it's built for one thing to a very fine edge of excellence. So again, getting started, a lot of flywheel pushing, but it's going and you're demonstrating. That's the key. You are demonstrating who you are, what you do, how you do it, and allowing the audience to figure out what your value is to them. And anyone who listens to more than one of your podcast episodes is already well on their way to becoming a, a part of your universe. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thanks. Well, awesome. Are there any other dreams or goals that you want to chat about before we move forward? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, um, everything, everything I do is based on the stuff we've talked about. Yeah. So my dreams and goals, well, let me put it this way. My dreams and goals are to have a lake house in Northern Wisconsin. I live in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, where my daughters and their families can bring our grandkids so they can go to Camp Grandpa. 
That is my, my greatest dream. So again, this all relates to my yardstick. Notice I didn't say, I'm going to be driving a Lambo down the, the streets of Las Vegas as I go from show to show or from casino to casino. I don't give a rip about any of that stuff. I do want to travel with my wife, but as soon as my daughters, if they're blessed, start having children, I know where we're going to be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There we go. I love it. I love a good family, man. Well, awesome. If there were one or two people that you could meet right now, and this could be a specific person or a type of person, and they'd really help you take the next step towards that lake house and sharing your knowledge, maybe in the speaker um, manner that you are pursuing, who would they be and how would they help you do it? Well, um, I already mentioned Scott Galloway, and he to me is... I'm I'm not trying to copy him, but he's he's clearly in the lane that I aspire to to a certain degree. And I'm inspired by him. So it's funny how aspiration and inspiration go hand in hand. I aspire to be that, therefore I'm inspired by someone who's actually doing that. Yep. You know, so Scott Galloway would be one. Um I'm trying to think there, there's some people who uh, perhaps are not uh, um, household names, but certainly are well-known in the marketing, advertising, social media, digital marketing space. Um, I'm impressed by people like Mark Schaefer. His, he's a, he writes really great books about marketing and uh, that are very relatable, very story-oriented, and I'm inspired by stuff like that. And uh, I'll be honest with you, the, the stuff I follow mostly are uh, podcasts. I love all, and I have so many different interests. The beauty is I can find a podcast for every one of those interests. And because I have dogs who need to be walked, guess what? I've got plugged into my ears every time I take the dogs for a walk. A podcast based on one of whatever interest I want to pay most attention to today. Today yep. it was a a, a podcast about guitars and guitar players and stuff like that tomorrow it'll be one about you know business and technology or actually today was talking very very graphically about elon musk and him purchasing twitter oh yeah <laughs> i mean and that just happened uh, over the weekend and so there were, uh, there was a lot of discussion about that and, and you know, again i don't know what i think about it i just want to learn so that's a big part for me. It, it's learning from others who are excellent at what they do by uh, the main feed right now is through podcasts. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Well, we, yep, we got time for our thriving three. That's where we're going next. And speaking of podcasts, I don't know if Scott Galloway or Mark Schaefer have a podcast, but the first question is, what is your favorite book, movie, or podcast? Pick one. Oh, that's, that's always really tough. Uh, movie. I am a, I, I love movies. Great. And I'm going old school. I'm going David Lean. David Lean was a British filmmaker who did uh, Bridge Over the River Kwai, Lawrence of Arabia, Dr. Zhivago. I mean the early 60s he came out with these groundbreaking movies that were just in incredible so if i have to pick one 
I'm going to say Dr. Zhivago because it was like, I saw it when I was in high school and it was, my brain literally broke open with, oh my God, that's how history works. It's not just about <laughs> the things that happened. It's about the people who lived it through the, the entire of uh, all the events involved. And that, that was a paradigm shift. So I'm going to credit David Lean and his movie, Dr. Zhivago for that. There we go. Yeah. So book, you said, uh, a favorite book. Uh, and this is, this is the way my mind works. Again, favorite writer. That's a little bit more difficult, but uh, there's a writer named Mark Halpern who wrote Winter's, Winter Tale, Winter's Tale. I, I read all his books and I, I love those. And he's a nonfiction writer or a fiction writer, I mean, I'm sorry, which is funny because I, I talk about nonfiction brand and everything I do, but I love fiction books. So um, another favorite, I'm, I'm going to give Neil Stevenson some credit because he's a really interesting writer. His book, Cryptonomicon, which is a kind of sci-fi, kind of historical, kind of, it's, it's all over the place, but I'm going to point to that one too. Awesome. And you want to throw a podcast in there? Podcast. Uh, my go-to is Pivot with Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. Kira Swisher is a New York Times reporter uh, who's always been involved in technology, and Scott Gall uh, Galloway, we've already talked about, uh, Stern School of Business, NYU professor in marketing. But the funny thing about him is he's also a serial entrepreneur. And, the, and this is really funny to me. My go-to place to get my wife a gift was a online catalog company called Red Envelope. Scott Galloway was the founder and CEO of Red Envelope. One of, I think he says he's, he has started nine businesses, two big successes, three okay, and then the rest were failures. And he is who he is because of the failures, the moderate successes, and the successes. So uh, one of the things I love about him is that he embraces all of it and it's not all a sunshine and rainbow story some of it is yeah uh i didn't know how we were going to make it through i find inspiration in those stories as well so there you yeah. go pivot podcast with uh kara swisher and scott galloway and what is one action step that you can take right now or continue to take if you're already doing it to meet scott galloway or mark schaefer well, okay, the big one is um, I can do what I've been doing, which is, and I'm not stalking the dude, okay? Just to be clear, I'm not stalking the dude or liking every tweet he puts out. Yep. But when he tweets something that catches my attention, I might respond to him on Twitter. When I see something, uh, an article on LinkedIn that he's put up there or his people, because he's got staff, you know, yeah. Uh, I will respond to it and not just say, this was a really great article, Scott. I'll do a technique I call the like plus. I'm definitely going to say I like this article, but I'm going to also do four other things. I'm going to appreciate it. Yes, I like it. I'm going to recognize who did it, Scott Galloway. I'm going to 
add to what he said by saying, I liked what you said about X, Y, and Z. Have you thought about one, two, three and how it relates? I'm adding to a conversation, right? And then the last one is give a task or a takeaway, which is uh, ask a question. Have you thought about that? Have you read this book, which addresses that, whatever. The goal there is to turn every comment I make on social media into a conversation. Mm. And conversations happen when someone asks a smart question and someone feels smart in answering it and wants to engage with that smart question. So, dude, you're already doing that, right, Timmy? You know that. Your whole podcast is, I'm asking a series of questions and letting people share what they know. And because you're a good party host, you get all the credit for having a great party. Do you see how that works? It's a BYO party, babe. You didn't, you know, I'm bringing everything to this party. I brought the beer, I brought the meat, I brought the chips, and you're just going, come on over to my house. I'll host the party and I'll get all the credit. So let me tell you, being doing a podcast is a great way to, to do what you're talking about. But in my case, the thing that helps me to try to get on Scott Galloway's radar is to do what I just said, turn every comment I make into a conversation or a conversation opportunity. Fact is the dude's busy. He's not going to respond to everything, but he has occasionally said, thanks DP, or, you know, good to hear from you. Or it's, it's just that little subtle thing to say, I know who you are. Yeah. And frankly, that's all I need. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. There we go. I like the, uh, the mentality of adding value wherever you go, like adding to that conversation. Yeah, because so many people, when they respond to something online, it's just, I feel the same way. Okay. <laughs> uh, you want to maybe enla uh, enlarge on that or share more? And I feel the same way. This happened to me. This is how I dealt with it. Here's a resource I think you should know about and your audience might want to learn more about. Have you ever heard of this book? Question mark. Yep. Because here's the thing. If, if I take the time to post something and someone engages with me meaningfully and asks me a question, am I not going to answer that question in order to let my post get shared more widely on social media? Yeah, you absolutely. Of course I am. It's like social media 101 right there. <laughs> yep. Yep. Awesome. Well, DP, we got one last question for you. So you know how there are people on the planet who have a really fixed mindset. They're not willing to accept help. They're not willing to accept change. Sometimes they'll live their whole life like that. And sometimes they'll die like that, unfortunately. Other times they make the switch to more of a growth mindset, willing to accept help and willing to accept change. In your opinion, what is the catalyst that causes people to make that switch? Becoming humble enough to admit you don't know everything and that there might be something other people can add that will make what you have better. And what I mean by that is when I was a kid and even a, as a young creative in avid agencies, I always wanted everything to be mine, my idea, my words, my this, my that. It Why? Because... I was a, I was a ball hog, you know, if you, if you know what I mean, um, a ball hog is someone who won't pass the ball. Yeah. There was some ego going on there. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, it was me, 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 me. 
And all of a sudden, I started working with people who were better at what they do than I was. Meaning, I wasn't. They weren't better than than me at what I did with excellence. Like you know, when it comes to writing and stuff like that. But they were better with uh, color. Color is difficult for design. But there are some people whose taste in co with color is so good that I could never do what they do, but I can recognize it. Same thing with typography. They just have such great taste. And all of a sudden I realized, you know, I could do a poor version of that, or yep. they could take my words and make it 50 times better by applying their magic and their uh, talents to it. And when I realized that and started becoming a true collaborator instead of just a my way or the highway creator, that's when my work started getting better, started winning awards, and certainly attracted more people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great application, if you guys are wondering, of who, not how, which kind of pairs up with, Dan, uh, no, Dan Sullivan, Benjamin P. Hardy wrote Who Not How. The Big Leap was Gay Hendrix. Who Not How is talking about collaboration, outsourcing in some cases of the business owner so you can protect your zone of genius, which is what yes, you Yes, exactly. If you have to do everything yourself, you're going to be worn out by the time it comes to you doing the thing you're actually good at. Yep. Yep. DB, tell me, tell me what you think about this. Because I've, uh, so solo entrepreneur right now, I've been trying to just get that wheel spinning like we were talking about earlier. But I've noticed after reading Who Not How, the only time I've really become, had any type of success or consistency in my life was when I applied Who Not How. So for example, with my podcast, I hired a virtual assistant. She helps me like do all the posting and all the social media stuff. And I was not willing to do that. Like I was like, that's gonna, that's the only reason I'm not gonna do this podcast. One, editing, two, social media. So I chose not to edit until I can outsource it because it pulls in revenue. And B, I was gonna outsource social media successful podcast. Recently, doing some real estate wholesaling, I learned about it in college and I wasn't doing it because of money, right? And I recently partnered up with my brother and his friend so we could kind of like supply that marketing budget and it helped me push past that limiting belief. So my question to you is, one of the things I've been really thinking about is kind of a like art of the deal or a deal makers community where solo entrepreneurs can team up with other solo entrepreneurs instead of trying to beat their head against the wall doing it alone. Do you see that as a valuable thing for beginner entrepreneurs who are just starting out? Or do you see it as like a, you're just going to get with a bunch of other people who are also spinning their wheels and it doesn't work out? The, the, the caution I would give you is if everybody's at that beginner level, it, it's almost like you're all drowning and you're pushing off each other. And when you push off someone else, when they're dr when you're all drowning, some people go under, you know, yep. and, and there's nobody who's actually on the successful boat, leaning out, grabbing your arm and pulling you up. Mm. So my fear would be that if it were just a, a, a community of solopreneur who solopreneurs who haven't gotten traction yet, that it becomes kind of like the puppies around the bowl trying to get in there and grab their, their allotment of food. And frankly, the biggest one always wins, you know, and someone's shut out and stuff like that. So I prefer to think of what you're talking about doing 
there are a ton of organizations that exist in undoubtedly in your area, wherever you are, that are about uh, making connections, you know, finding the, the who's, you know, meeting the who's. Uh, and one organization that I'm aware of that I've participated in, uh, not so much since COVID, but it's starting to come back again, is One Million Cups, which is a, a networking organization of all sorts of people who get together on a regular basis. Typically, there's a presentation portion, but the, the real value is going and becoming a regular and getting known by a lot of those who's. Because all of a sudden, those who's, if they get to know you over time, they become a combination of friends, colleagues, mentors, evangelists, unpaid salespeople for you, uh, and certainly people you can at least test ideas with. And the thing is, once you start asking questions, here's the thing. People who ask good questions attract people who want to answer those questions. And I don't know many people who will just plain not answer a good question, regardless of where they perceive you in the business firmament. You know, you, you see it all the time. Smart questions attract the attention of smart people. So that's my two cents on that. Gotcha. 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 Yeah, that, that is something I've definitely thought about. I just know it was so helpful for me to team up with my brother and his friend to get the wholesaling thing off and to hire my VA. But there is that component of like, well, we haven't quite gotten our, gotten our thing spinning yet, you know? Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Still something I'm thinking through, but I just hate to see solopreneurs bang their head against the wall for three years and then end up quitting because they didn't either uh well team up they gotta, or yeah they gotta find the right who's that can give you a leg up or a hand up or a, a platform uh no i totally get that though yeah yeah for sure well thank you for that and is there anything else you want to chat about before we sign off no i but i do want to offer your audiences uh your audience members the opportunity to download some free pdfs that can get you started on your personal branding journey if you will if you go to nonfictionbrand.com slash gift, G-I-F-T, gift, you can download three PDFs. One of them is a five-question questionnaire that just gets you start thinking about where your zone of excellence might be and, what, and how to communicate it and really hone in on that. The two other ones are kind of uh, tip sheets on techniques you can use. One of them talks about the like plus concept that I kind of introduced on this podcast. And then the other one is about a concept I call the unselfish selfie. We live in a selfie society, but if you can become an unselfish selfie taker that puts the spotlight on other people's, even though other people, even though you're in the photo, it's really about them. Here's the thing. When you shine the spotlight on somebody else, it reflects back on you. So the unselfish self, the unselfish, it's hard to say sometimes, the unselfish selfie is a great way to get started doing that right away. So check that out. Again, you can download the, they're completely free at nonfictionbrand.com slash gift. And then also check out my nonfiction brand podcast, which comes out every single Monday. It focuses on personal branding and small business branding, talking about a lot of the stuff we just talked about. So 
It's got a lot of great guests. And as I say, it comes out every single Monday, wherever you get fine podcasts for free. Well, there we go. There we go. DP, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Oh, and one other thing. Don't forget, I got the nonfiction brand book. It's available at the House of Bezos, Amazon.com. It's called Nonfiction Brand. And it's got my lovely picture on the cover, not because I'm a raging narcissist, but because I'm stepping into my own personal brand spotlight by not staying in the shadows. There we go. Get out there. Let yep. your light shine. Absolutely. Give others permission to do the same. Mm -hmm. Well, awesome. DP, thanks for coming on the show. If you guys are listening to this and you loved what DP had to say, he just gave you a bunch of ways to access resources, to access him. Every Monday, he's posting new episodes. Make sure to, um, yeah, contact him. Reach out to him if you happen to know, I'm blinking on names, Mark Schaefer or Scott Galloway. Make sure to yeah. reach out to them and make that connection with DP. As we always ask, shoot this podcast to one to three people you know need to hear this message, need to learn how to get their personal brand out there. Give us a five-star review on iTunes, and we're out. Guys, thanks for listening. Make sure to reach out to our guests and help them accomplish their dreams and goals if you resonated with them. If you're looking for any intentional masterminds or one-on-one -on -one coaching to accomplish your dreams and goals, make sure to check out the website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, and contact me either there or on social media. That's all I got. Have a blessed day.